our spectacular X-ray universe, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and way, way beyond. Martin Weisskopf. Martin Weisskopf says you can't do astrophysics without studying the sources of X-rays across the cosmos. He should know. He helped invent X-ray astronomy from space telescopes, which is the only way it can be done. After decades as project scientist for the great space observatory known as Chandra, he now also leads work with a new and unique instrument called XP. Excerpts of my interview with this NASA Marshall Space Flight Center experimental astrophysicist are moments away. Our complete conversation is available online at planetary.org radio. That's also where you'll hear our own Casey Dreyer, chief advocate for the Planetary Society, provide his analysis of the just-released fiscal year 2023 NASA budget proposal that is mostly good news. Later when Bruce Betts arrives... We'll hear the f- Later, when Bruce Betts arrives, we'll hear the very first words spoken from the moon when humans made first contact. They may surprise you. Speaking of humans on the moon, is that a beaming Buzz Aldrin we see in the March 25 edition of our weekly newsletter? Yeah, that's Buzz having the time of his life at the annual Yuri's Night celebration. As one of the founders of Yuri's Night, I can hardly wait for this year's party. It has been three years since we last gathered in person under Space Shuttle Endeavor in Los Angeles's California Science Center. I'll be there to once again interview some of the space stars in attendance for the 61st anniversary of humankind becoming a spacefaring species. The Planetary Society is once again a sponsor. There are at least 113 events planned in 30 countries across seven continents. And you can plan your own if there isn't one near you. Information and tickets are at yurisnight.net. That's Y-U-R-I-S night dot net. You can also learn more at planetary.org slash downlink. Be sure to say hi if you see me at the L.A. party. The Earth's magnetic field is no slouch, but it measures at something less than a single gauss in strength. The magnetic field generated by objects called magnetars can reach as much as 10 to the 15th gauss. That's a 1 followed by 15 zeros, or a quadrillion. A field that powerful does weird things to physics, much as black holes do. Both are mind-bogglingly huge sources of energy, and much of that energy is emitted as X-rays. And though X-rays are a far more energetic form of electromagnetic radiation than the visible light your eyes can see, they thankfully can't penetrate Earth's atmosphere. No, to see and analyze them, you have to put your telescope in space. That's what Martin Weisskopf has been doing for over a half-century— His new instrument is an international effort called the Imaging X-Ray Polarimetry Explorer, or IXPE, fondly referred to as XP. It can determine the polarization of X-rays that have traveled millions or billions of light years to reach it. And understanding that polarization may help us unlock deep secrets of the cosmos. On top of his work with XP and the Chandra X-Ray Observatory, 
Martin is the chief scientist for X-ray astronomy at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. That's where he was when we talked a few days ago. Martin Weisskopf, welcome to Planetary Radio. I also want to congratulate you on the release of Ixby's very first science images. I think the first were released publicly only about six weeks ago, as people hear this. Some of my favorite images of the universe are those those beauties that overlay images from more than one instrument. You must be very proud of one that was in the press release that combines an image of the, the Cassiopeia uh, A supernova remnant taken by Chandra with a brand new one from Ixby, both yeah. instruments that you have a lot of responsibility for. That is correct. It's really nice to see them merge together. I've been the project scientist for Chandra Actually, since the beginning, 1977, they made me an offer at NASA that I didn't refuse. (laughs) And I got this fantastic opportunity to help build a scientific cathedral, really Mm. an amazing opportunity. And as people may or may not know, Chandra has been one of the most successful science missions that NASA has ever flown. It's still operating after 23 years now this year. It has thousands and thousands of papers, paradigm shifts, et cetera, and it's the best damn X-ray telescope <laughs> that's ever been built. Ixby, on the other hand, is really, uh, although it's the Imaging X-ray Polarimetry Explorer, its prime reason for existence is it does something that Chandra can't do, which is measure the polarization or attempt to measure the polarization from astrophysical and astronomical sources. For me, uh, I helped start that field of X-ray polarimetry with the first measurements from sounding rockets in 1971. That's 51 years ago. And now we have a much more powerful polarimeter. And although we didn't release these results too in detail yet, we're seeing polarization, measuring polarization from several different classes of sources. So that's uh, wonderful to me again. And the Crab Nebula, which is another star that exploded like Cass A, supernova remnant, that was the first and only real positive detection of polarization that we made with a satellite called Orbiting Solar Observatory Number 8 in the mid-70s, and uh, we got a 19 standard deviation result, which is pretty big time. Not bad. Now in our quick look data for XB, we got a 65 sigma result. Wow. Yes, <laughs> it's just like they're like and busters, and there'll be a lot of very fascinating data that comes from it. I am really excited because there's things that I wanted to do in the 70s, and we didn't have enough events. Getting polarimeters flown has always been difficult because it's not easy to do polarimetry. So Ixby gives us a dedicated satellite mission so we don't have to worry about the fact that, well, if we did this type of experiment, it would be much more efficient and we could be 20 of those as opposed to one polarization measurement. But yeah, that polarization measurement may tell us something new astrophysically. And that's where the real excitement is coming up in the next few months. I want to back way up. I found a photo of you and your colleagues back from (laughs) 1971 
It was yes. a decidedly furrier era. And you yes. were all you were all standing around, yes, an Aero B sounding rocket, as you mentioned, that got that first measurement of, of a polarized X-ray source from something out there in the sky, a celestial object, which, you know, as impressive as the work being done now is by Chandra and Ixby and so on, that was quite an accomplishment back then, wasn't it? Yes, that was just uh, me and a graduate student and another professor, assistant professor and his student and the director of the laboratory. And when I showed that picture, which you said, it's kind of furry. Yeah. <laughs> because except for the director of the laboratory, Robert Novick, we all had beards. And when I show that in, in, in uh, seminars and stuff, I would say, I'm the handsome one. <laughs> You want to know which one of them is me? <laughs> In the middle, crouching down at the foot of the rocket. Um, That's right. So you've been collecting and focusing X-rays from space for over fifty years, as you said, yes. and you have said that a, that X-ray astronomy is as compelling for you as ever. Why? Why is that? Oh, so many reasons. Uh, especially since I'm an experimentalist, and so I like to build things. Uh, X-ray astronomy presents several challenges to move forward. Extremely high resolution. Chandra is half arc second angular resolution. And we need something that competes with JWST and even Hubble at about 0.05 arc seconds. It's a dream that I have to build optics like that. So an order of magnitude better than... An than order of magnitude better. Uh, I think that's extremely important to move the science forward. But the best thing, and to me, about and the most exciting thing to me about X-ray astronomy is we're probing new phenomena all the time. Every instrument that we put up, Chandra Ixby has made some very surprising astrophysical discoveries. Things don't work like the way we think. My <laughs> theorist colleagues, are they bless their hearts, are very clever, but many of them are only very clever after the fact and not before the fact. <laughs> and I, I love that aspect of science. Uh, to do the, you know, some people said, well, let's fly the Monte Carlo simulation. It always looks so nice but I would prefer to analyze the data and find something different. That gives me a real thrill. And as a scientist, uh, one of the things that has always interested me in science is when something like that first polarization experiment, I realized in analyzing that data with my student, we're the only people in the entire universe that have ever known this. That we know of. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. You're right. You caught me there on a slight <laughs> sports exaggeration, <laughs> certainly in the history of the Earth. And that's just a tremendous feeling. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I love science so much is that very occasionally you're lucky enough to get that feeling. Since XP's whole reason for being is to detect this polarization of X-ray light. Obviously, that was an important priority for a good reason. What are those reasons? What is it that polarization can tell us about the object that is emitting that, those X-rays? Right. We've come a long way in X-ray astronomy from the early rocket days where we were 
very happy to detect a source and ecstatic when we detected a source that was out of the galaxy. And it was an extended source, which was a cluster of galaxies. But now we have detailed models and often case competing models to explain the X-ray emission that we see from these various objects. Well, if you put polarization, polarimetry into the astrophysical bag of tools, you have another constraint on what's going on. And then you have to explain the polarization too, in addition to the energy distribution, the time variation, etc. And so that's what polarimetry brings to the table. We used to measure energy, location, time variability. Now we have polarization to add to that. And you've got to be able to predict it. Theoretically, we've done a lot of studies uh, in preparation for XP and other scientists interested in polarimetry. And we find all kinds of neat things. Uh, so, for example, there are neutron stars called magnetars. Mm, yeah. It's a neat name because their magnetic fields are supposed to be 10 to the power 15 gauss. Now, all kinds of things happen very interestingly at those magnetic fields. So you don't use standard physics anymore. You have to use quantum electrodynamics to see how X-rays propagate in the atmosphere of these stars. If we look at the magnetars uh, and see what the energy dependence is of the polarization, and by the way, these things pulse too at a few seconds per pulse period, Looking at the polarization as a function of pulse phase can tell you something about whether or not the magnet, the field is really is 10 to the 15th Gauss. Hmm. You say they pulse. Does that mean that magnetars are also pulsars because they're spinning or is something yes. else responsible? No, yeah. that's absolutely, that's just uh, what just, but theoretically quite complicated. But yes, Neutron star spinning, This these beasts happen to have these huge magnetic fields. Well, let me drag you back, uh, to, not quite to the uh, event horizon, but back to black holes as well. Uh, yes. Another, as you said, very tiny source of enormous energy. Yes. Uh, the X-ray, we always make a mistake in talking to people because the X-rays don't come from the black hole because you can't see the black hole and therefore, but they come from very close. Mm. And what's happened is that particles are accelerated to extremely high energies and then radiate X-rays. And one of the neat things we can do with X-rays polarimetry is look at one of these black holes, the microquasars as we call them, and see what the energy dependence is. How does the polarization vary with energy? XP can do some energy resolution. It's not wonderful, but it's not terrible. The way that polarization varies with energy is relate, directly related to the spin of the black hole. Uh. Polarimetry as a function of energy of these systems can tell you what the spin of the black hole is. And it's not the only way to tell the spin. There are other techniques that have been used, and it's very will be very interesting to see whether or not we agree. And if we don't agree, why don't we agree? So that takes us back to um, how you experimentalists sometimes uh, tweak your uh, your friends, your colleagues, the uh, the theorists. <laughs> I I love when distinguished science scientists and mission leaders and 
and others come on our show and, and say that all of our thinking about some basic physical property or, or feature of the solar system or the universe, turns out we got the data and we were wrong. Isn't that about as exciting as science gets? Yes, it is. And, and it's kind of funny. We keep doing experiments to really try to understand things better. And what we're doing is working to put ourselves out of business because once <laughs> we understand everything, there's nothing for us to do. But the reality seems to be is that the more we understand things and the better our experiments, we have to tweak everything. We find out we didn't understand it at all, as you said, or no, at all maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but it, it wasn't quite right. What's ahead? What is on the order of business for XP? For XP, there's a whole year's worth of sources that we plan to look at, plus six or seven targets of opportunity where some wonderful X-ray sources goes bump in the night and really extends its flux so that we can get a good shot at measuring something. Uh, and so we're going through those sources for the first year, and that'll design what we're going to do in the second year. It'll guide us. And then in the third year, assuming that XP is deemed wonderful by senior reviews and continues, which I have no doubt that it will, uh, we then open up a general observer program where scientists throughout the world will be making proposals to look at that particular target for their science and their particular reason. I should say that XP, uh, my science advisory team, has over 100 scientists from 12 countries. So wow. the internal group of XP is not confined to just the United States, but it's truly collaborative. And I should say that one of the reasons that XP is so beautiful and so sensitive to polarization comes from these beautiful polarization-sensitive detectors that were provided by Italy and developed in Italy. Italy has played a major role in the success of XP. I got one more question that only occurred to me a moment ago. Okay. When you go into the doctor's office and he says, we better get an x-ray of that, <laughs> does that hold any special fascination and does he know uh, how you uh, earn your living? Yes. Well, I tell, I tell them all that whenever I run into an x-ray machine. And unfortunately, at my age, I have a lot of doctors that try to keep me going. I'm always amazed at the crudeness of the medical instrumentation. Oh. I mean, I could build them a system that is, you know, subjects the human to far less dose than what they're doing. It's more brute force. You've made me very glad that I asked that question. I, uh, I think you need to, uh, to uh, uh, become an entrepreneur. <laughs> I should tell you that I'm 80 years old and I'm a little bit past entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I hope, though, that you have many more years of uh, leadership ahead of you and great science ahead of you in this uh, X-ray domain. So do I. I'm planning to formally retire and apply to become an emeritus, which will allow me to play with data and not attend meetings. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> A little bit of heaven. Martin, thank you so much. This has absolutely been delightful. I so look forward to seeing the, the results keep flowing from Ixby and from Chandra. 
and uh, really across the spectrum that uh, you and your colleagues are, are contributing so much to. Thank you. It's a pleasure. They even pay me. <laughs> I won't tell. <laughs> Martin Weiskopf is the long-serving project scientist for the Chandra X-ray Observatory, principal investigator for the new ICSPI Space Telescope, and chief scientist for X-ray astronomy at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be back with Bruce Betts in a minute. This is Planetary Radio. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Greetings all, Bill Nye here. Missions of discovery are underway right now thanks to the Planetary Society, the world's largest independent space advocacy organization. The fight for space science and exploration never ends. You can help us make sure our representatives understand how important this work is. There are several ways to get involved. We've got all the information you need at planetary.org slash take action. That's planetary.org slash take action. Thank you. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. Bruce Betts is back. Welcome. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I hope our connection holds up here. We've been having a little trouble the last few minutes. But uh, hey, before this thing goes belly up again, tell us what's up. In the evening sky, no planets, but a lot of constellation goodness. Still Orion. Catch it while it's hot. Uh, You've got that over in the early evening in uh, the southwest and then in the pre-dawn sky it is indeed still a planet party venus looking super bright mars looking reddish and saturn about the same brightness as mars looking yellowish and here's the really exciting part april 4th or april 5th check them out mars and saturn about the equivalent of one lunar diameter apart from each other So very close together, and Venus very nearby. So a cluster of three uh, hanging out in the pre-dawn east. All right, we go on to this week in space history, 1997. Comet Hale-Bopp reached periapsis around the sun, visible to folks on Earth around that time. In 1973, Pioneer 11 launched out to the outer solar system, joining its sister craft, Pioneer 10, on what would be the first explorations of the giant planets. When Hale-Bopp made its appearance, one of those nights I was on a plane headed to Florida and had the presence of mind to bring my binoculars in the cabin. We were on the correct side of the plane. There was a crowd of us going to a conference before my Planetary Society days, and sure enough, we had a great view of the comet out of the the window uh, next to our seats. That is so cool. And what an awesome nerdly thing to do, bringing the binoculars. Were you popular? Did you share eye infections with a bunch of people? <laughs> we actually did, yes. We handed the binoculars all around. I, if I remember correctly, even, I think even one of the flight attendants uh, took a peek. <laughs> that's, wow, that's, that's cool. Glad I, glad I mentioned that. Uh, let's move on. I got a good one for you. I got a good random space fact. Scooby's, uh, Scooby's got a throat problem, I think. 
Well, it just happens to have to do with dogs this week. Okay, it's not a coincidence. I like dogs. And so here's your comparison. The mass of Mercury compared to Earth is about the same as the mass of a Chihuahua compared to the mass of a large German Shepherd. (laughs) That's great. I love it. You do love dogs, don't you? I do, and I was actually, you know, a little disappointed that that the difference wasn't enough to include my giant mastiff. Let us move on to the trivia contest, and I asked you, what were the first words spoken from the moon based upon the words spoken after any part of the lunar module touched the surface, and who said them? How'd we do, Matt? I'm going to play the actual audio And it begins with the first words when the first portion of the lunar module touched the lunar surface. Here it is. Contact light. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Out control, both auto descent, engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. We've had shut down. We copy you down, Eagle. Okay, everybody, uh, T1, stand by T1. Tranquility base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Twink. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. What were those first words, Bruce? And who was that we heard say them? It was Contact Light by Buzz Aldrin. There were sensors that were below the the landing pads, uh, three of the four landing pads, that dangled down. And when those hit the surface, then the light on the the equivalent of a dashboard that said contact, the contact light went on. So Buzz announced contact light, and that was the first word spoken when something with humans on board touched the moon. Timothy Myers, who has not won for almost three and a half years, December of 2018 was his last win. Timothy is in California Congratulations, Timothy. We are going to send you, it's the uh, 20 by 36 screen poster of Juno above Jupiter that, as I said before, and we'll say again, it is gorgeous. It's from uh, Chop Shop's robotic spacecraft series. You can see it at chopshopstore.com. All right. This week, I've got the following for you. The requests for planetary radio math are being answered once again. And it's simple math. There basically are going to be three things you need to have uh, answers to, and you'll add them together and submit that number. So here we go. What are the mission numbers? So, for example, Apollo 11 would be 11. Uh, Last shuttle mission, STS-135, would be 135. What are the mission numbers of the following added together? The first Apollo to orbit the moon the only space shuttle to land at White Sands, New Mexico, and the first Mars orbiter. Get those numbers, add them together, submit your answer to planetary.org slash radio contest. Shouldn't be too difficult for you. You've got until the 6th, April 6th, someone's birthday, I can't remember who, at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us this answer, and you might win yourself Another terrific poster from Chop Shop. This one is Mars Science from the historic robotic spacecraft series. He has redone it. It now features both perseverance and curiosity and a cute little helicopter named Ingenuity on the surface of the Red Planet. That could be yours if you are 
chosen by random.org this time around. With that, we are done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about whether you prefer the term math or maths. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> I'll just go with Matt. Uh, Matt Kaplan, that is. He's Bruce Betts, not Bruce's, just, just singular, <laughs> uh, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society who joins us every week here for What's Up. Hey, Matt's. Nice show. <laughs> Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members who have X-ray vision. Marco Verda and Ray Poletta are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astro. <laughs> <laughs>